Voice in the Wilderness, Internet Radio. Enlightening the world every week. It's not just knowing about the doctrine in the Bible. That is not what we stand for here. Streaming powerful, biblically-based messages live down the This congregation may never be gathered together again as we see it. Voice in the Wilderness, Internet Radio. Enlightening the world every week. Good evening. Welcome to Voice in the Wilderness Internet Radio. We are streaming live down the internet from London. This show is first dedicated to our Lord Jesus Christ. It is also dedicated to the men who established this ministry. These men were Pastor Reginald Wright and Evangelist Gary Harrison. On tonight's show, we will discuss the question, Can the Bible be trusted? We will be answering questions that people commonly ask. Our guest speaker is based in Maryland, in the United States of America. More about him after we've had some music. This is my father's world And to my listening ears All nature sings and rises This is my Father's world I rest me in the thought Of rocks and trees, of skies and seas His hand the So strong God is the 
Can the Bible be trusted? We will be discussing this question tonight with Elder Ray Ricardo, Speaker, Director for Emmanuel Missionary Institute. Let's see if he's home. Elder Ray Ricardo. Hey, John. How are you, buddy? Yes, good evening to you. Welcome live to Voice in the Wilderness Internet Radio. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. As we discuss together the question, can the Bible be trusted? So, Elder, before... Well, I think absolutely. I think when you look at uh, the Bible as a whole, and not just the Scriptures itself, but really the testimony of those who who themselves have um, experienced uh, faith in the Bible. I think when you're looking at, uh, for example, um, the, the promises of God and how people have seen through those promises um, the fulfillment in their lives through uh, various um, incidences that have occurred, I think that's a critical um Testimony, and I, I think, frankly, when you look at that, it's something that obviously cannot be denied in the lives of those right. who have have gone through that. I think that's one very critical thing. Yeah, shall we have a word of prayer before we continue our discussion this evening? Mm, yes, sure. do you mind praying, please, Elder? Yeah, absolutely. Our Father in heaven, we again thank you for the privilege and opportunity that we have to come together and to um, take this time to discuss the issue of whether or not the Bible is is uh, relevant and trustworthy for today. So thank you for the opportunity. Please bless John and I, myself, and we hope and pray that this time that we spend together will be a prosperous one. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yes, Elder, so carry on. Can the Bible be trusted? That's the first question we're discussing tonight. Yes, well, like I was saying, you know, when you look at the I think but the testimony of those who have uh, gone through um, uh, various um, experiences 
in their lives who have uh, trusted the Word of God, who have relied upon the Word of God, uh, myself included. I know you as well, John. Yes. Uh, we can personally testify um, based on like uh, the promises, uh, the, the the various passages throughout the Scripture, um, that it is reliable. I think that when you're looking at the uh, well, let's just take the last 2,000 years. Right. And, of course, this is just spanning the history of the New Testament uh, times. Um, but obviously it goes back further than that, thousands of years before that, when you look at the uh, Jewish scriptures. But uh, when you look at the historical account of the Christian church and the uh, countless millions of people who have look to the Holy Scriptures as a means by which they could find um, comfort and, and, uh, and peace of mind um, in the various uh, circumstances that they themselves have found themselves in. I think that uh, that testimony is something that can't be overlooked. Um, I know for myself, as I say, uh, you know, relying upon the promises of God, uh, I have uh, tested them, and as we say, you know, you prove them by relying upon them. And uh, every time that you uh, take the uh, hand of faith and trust in what God has said, um, you're never let down. At, at no time does the Lord uh, and the promises that he makes uh, ever fail you at, at, in that moment in, in need. I think that's one very critical uh, aspect of, of trusting the scriptures. And of course, when you look at the issue of trust, yes. you're looking at reliability. You're looking at something that, uh, again, uh, that doesn't change. So you're looking at stability. Um, so when you look at reliability, you look at stability. Um, I think those two characteristics, once again, uh, clearly um, ring out loud regarding the the uh, scriptures. I think that, again, not just in my case, but in countless millions of others who have themselves testified that uh, you can rely on the scriptures and that they are stable. That, in other words, you know, the promises of God that we rely on today are the same promises that God's people relied upon a hundred years ago, five hundred years ago, a yes. thousand years ago. And 3,000 years ago. So uh, when you look at that span of time and you look at the historical account of the testimony of those who have gone before, you see a, 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 a consistency where there is a reliability, um, you know, on the word of God. You can trust it. You can lean on it. Yeah, and uh, I think that's one very critical factor. The promises of God stand sure. Yes. And uh, God, uh, God's testimony is true. Yes. Do you mind if you have your Bible, if we go to Malachi chapter 3, verse 6? Yeah, sure. Malachi, absolutely. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. Because I'd like us to pick on this point, pick up on this point, I should say, because the Lord mm. himself explains exactly what you've been sharing with us, Elder. Malachi 3, 6. Yes. And what does the Bible yes, say? Yes, Absolutely. If for I am the Lord, I change not, therefore ye sons of Jacob, 
are not consumed. And that's the point. They're, they're, that's right. He doesn't change. The Lord Jesus Christ said, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yes. There, there is a reliability. There is a consistency. There is a trustworthiness. And I think, again, when you're looking at the issue of trust, what, what are we talking about? And again, in practical terms. Now, not in theoretical terms. I, 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 you know, when you're looking at whether you can trust the Bible, that's not a, 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 a theoretical question. That's a practical question. Yes. It's just something that you look at from a very common sense approach. And I think that when, again, someone who comes to the Bible for the first time and is asking that very question, can, it, can I trust it? Um, well, obviously, that's a very personal question. Um, it's something that you alone can answer. Uh, no one can really fundamentally answer it for you because the word trust implies obviously a very personal relationship. So again, that's why I, I go back on the testimony of those who have gone before yes. for thousands of years, millions of people throughout the world. And there is a consistency uh, based on their testimony that tells me there's something there that's reliable, that's something there that I can then look to as uh, as a means by which I can trust. And of course, uh, the trust factor in the truest sense comes into play when I experience it for myself. In other words, when it really comes home and I and I find myself experiencing the uh, the 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 uh, truthfulness of God's word. And so, um, but, you know, is the word of God trustworthy? Is God stable? Is he reliable? No question. Absolutely. You know, I tell you something else, yes. uh, John, when you look at the, the, uh, the uh, trustworthiness of the Bible, um, I look also at the, uh, another element that's critical. When you look at something that's trustworthy, it's something that uh, obviously does not lie. You know, no one trusts a liar. Yes. Uh, you know, why would you? So you're looking at uh, when you're looking at something that, that can be trusted is something that is truthful. And uh, and so when I look at that, I look also to the prophecies. When I think of, for example, Daniel chapter two. Now, yes. this is a very um, uh, simple, structured uh, prophecy. Not simple so much in terms of the depth of range in which you can go, because obviously God's word is unsearchable in its fullest degree. In other words, you can sit there and study a passage for for months at a time, and you're always going to find something new, something fresh and exciting coming from that testimony. Yes. So the word of God is is uh, inexhaustible. It's just rich with depth of knowledge. However, when you look at Daniel 2 and you see the wonderful simplicity of the structure where the head of gold, the, the belly and, uh, or the, or the um, uh, arms and, and, and chest of silver and the belly and thighs of brass and the legs of iron and the, iron and the feet of iron and clay and the stone that is cut out without hands. Now, that's a very simple, easily understood concept of various forms of metal. Uh, obviously, in the form of a, a man, um, and each section of a man depicts um, not only the the metal that is the, uh, portrayed, but each metal representing some significant empire 
throughout the history of mankind. And of course, you look at the gold, Babylon, silver, Medo-Persia, and then you look at the brass, Greece, and the legs of iron, Roman Empire, and the two legs, of course, sig signifying Eastern Europe and Western Europe in terms of the Roman Empire as it broke up there in 330, and then eventually Western Europe would fall in 476 AD. The, the ten toes of iron and clay, uh, of course, signifying the fall of Western Europe into the uh, ten um, uh, Germanic tribes that would come out of the north, such as the, 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 the Visigoths and the Ostrogoths, um, the Suevi, the Franks, the Burgundians, the Anglo-Saxons, etc., Yes. Um, of right. course, that the uh, three of them would be uprooted and destroyed, leaving seven. And of course, those seven would develop into what we now know to be modern uh, and Western Europe. Right. And then the stone, of course, representing Jesus Christ. Now, when you look at that, when you look at that prophecy, you you and, and again, we're going to the issue of trustworthy. Can we rely on the Word of God? Is it is it truthful? And so, when you look at that, we see that prophecy being fulfilled exactly as God portrayed it thousands of years ago. Okay. Now, so you see in prophecy clearly a fulfillment of things that were predicted, so it can be now trusted. You can rely on it. Right. So, and this naturally moves on to the second question posed tonight. Are the stories in them true? Mm. And Once it, yeah. Yes. Sorry, I just would like to state as you've just introduced to us that the prophetic word in the Bible has proven to be true. So please explain to us more about your understanding of this. Well, there's no doubt, again, when you're looking at the issue, uh, uh, you know, now we're dealing with the truthfulness again, and that's the issue of reliance upon whether it can be trusted. Are they true? Well, look, we've had thousands of years that have gone by. Uh, and again, and I'm including now the, the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. And uh, in relation with the new, so thousands of years have gone by to try to establish um, whether these uh, whether these prophecies or the word of God in general, the stories are true or not. Now, when you're dealing with the scriptures, there's two realities that come into play, and this is something that must be critically understood. There is uh, the truthfulness in the natural world. And then there's the truth in the supernatural. Let me explain what I mean. When you're dealing with the natural world, you're, doing, you're dealing with things uh, that, are, uh, that you can see, that you can hear, right. that you can touch, that yes. you can smell, that you can taste. So in other words, you're dealing with it, your senses. In other words, how do you know, uh, you know that you and I are now having a conversation? Well, we know that is reality. Uh, based on the fact that I can hear you yes, and I that agree. I am now sitting in, in, you know, in my desk and I'm looking and seeing and, and touching and feeling and things of this nature. So my senses tell me this is reality. This is the truth. But when you look at the scriptures and you understand the spirituality of the scriptures, you enter into uh, not only the natural world, that we live in, but also you're invited into the supernatural, the spiritual. Paul says in Corinthians, spiritual things are spiritually understood. Why can't a secular man believe that the word of God is true? Why? Because first he doesn't have the heart 
that has been transformed by the Spirit of God to enable him to understand. In other words, there's an unwillingness on the part of the individual to accept the testimony of what God has said. You know, some people, you can show them all the evidence you want, but in the final analysis, if they if they continue to refuse to accept what is plainly set before them, uh, they're not going to believe it, no matter how much evidence you you present before them. Yes, right. So there needs to be understood that though the Bible uh, was written by man, uh, by the uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, as Peter says, you know, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy uh, Ghost. So there's a, 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 a correlation, a relationship between the two. Uh, you have to, as I said, under, also understand the Bible is a spiritual book. It's not a secular book. It's not like you're picking up a uh, a book, a biography or a history book or right. some other secular book dealing with a secular issue. Now, are there secular events described? In other words, are there, are there um, uh, what they call in history, there's uh, sacred and profane history, sacred history being religious history, sacred history. And then profane being uh, something that is uh, not uh, uh, sacred in itself. It, it may be, uh, it doesn't mean it's bad. It's just mean it's simply that something is not inspired uh, by God in terms of his testimony. Right. So uh, the Bible encompasses the spiritual, um, but it will cover uh, historical events. Uh, for example, when you look at the account of creation, that's a historical account. When you're looking at, uh, well, for example, the testimony I just gave about Daniel 2, that's a historical account. Yes. Um, we, for example, when you look, how do we know Nebuchadnezzar, uh, uh, the testimony and the scriptures about Nebuchadnezzar is true? How do you know that? How can you trust that testimony? Well, we know archaeology and historical events have confirmed that Nebuchadnezzar did exist. Right. And that is empire, the ancient realm of Babylon, did at one time reign supreme. So the testimony of Scripture is 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 found in several ways. One is through historical confirmation, through the archaeological discoveries. The other is through, as I mentioned before, the prophetic utterances given by prophets foretelling of events um, regarding the nature of uh, those things that are revealed to them. And then, of course, you look back in history and you see whether or not these things actually came to pass. Right. But uh, the key factor, and this is something I really want to drive home to our listeners, is that when you're looking at the Bible and you want to and you're asking yourself this question, you know, can I uh, trust in the Bible? Are the stories true? And uh, if you are looking uh, at the scriptures from a secular worldly viewpoint then you're not going to trust and rely on the word of god because you ha don't have the very means necessary uh in uh that that constitutes the very element that is essential for you to uh believe in what god is saying spiritual things as i said before are spiritually discerned right. and so uh, jesus uh, when he told nicodemus in john 3 you must be born again there has to be a new experience in the light of man in regard to the nature of the things that God wants to reveal to them. And so um, spiritually, you have to come to the word of God uh, with an openness and willingness. Uh, let's say for the sake of argument that you are secular in belief. 
you, that you really don't believe the word of God, but you but you have a sincere desire to find out whether the word of God is true. Now, if that's the case, then God will show you through the manifestation of his word. Uh, you will find the experience to be true. Um, and uh, you may not understand every aspect. You may not realize the enormity of all that's being revealed to you, but that's okay. Um, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's like anything in life, particularly a child when they're born, you know, they first, they learn to crawl, then they learn to walk, then they learn to run. And so it's a development stage. And so this is the same uh, throughout uh, the experience of God's word when someone comes seeking the word of God. So are the stories true? Absolutely. Once again, uh, and I know that skeptics uh, want to bring up um, the historical or the events of uh, like the virgin birth or uh, Peter walking on water or um, other miraculous events that defy the natural laws of, right. of this world. Um, and they say, well, that, that, that can't, that's not, that's, it's not happening. It can't happen. Well, from a secular standpoint, yes, that's right. From an earthly standpoint, that's correct. But remember, God is not bound by the natural laws of, uh, of this earth. Uh, he's not confined to those laws. Remember, God created those laws and God can suspend those laws. Now he doesn't break them. But he can suspend them. Yes. And there's a difference. Uh, uh, suspending something is putting it aside temporarily in order to fulfill the desire of what God uh, has, is working with. Uh, but, uh, and so he defies the laws of, of, of logic and the laws of physics. Um, and so uh, God is supernatural. The Bible is a supernatural book. Amen. And so the testimony of Scripture stands true. Once again, I think when one looks at the Bible from an honest standpoint, sincerely searching for the word of uh, uh, the word of God, wanting to know whether it's true or not, the word of God itself will give evidence that it is true through the various uh, promises and and prophecies that are related there. Okay. Well, let's move on now to the next question. Many people ask, why are there so many different Bibles? Why is, mm. why is this? And, you know, why does it seem like there's, there's, there's a different Bible for a different religion or mm. for a different sect? And um, what would you like to share with us about that tonight? Well, you know, that's a, look, first of all, this is a very good question. And it's a question that has plagued Christianity. Well, since Paul's day, even Paul said it. <laughs> They were twisting his words. People were spreading out false letters about, you know, the same. Well, Paul wrote this when he didn't write it at all. So um, counterfeiting the word of God has been going on for a long, long time. Now, let me say this in Bible translations. Um, the, the, the most accurate, and again, we're looking in terms of accuracy of the word of God uh, when we're looking at this. Um, is obviously the original language, the Hebrew and the Greek. Right. Um, you, you have to go back. These are the original languages of the scriptures, the Old Testament in Hebrew, uh, the New Testament in Greek. Um, and uh, obviously, if you could read, read those languages, you're able to read them and, and experience. Well, then, wow, you are really blessed. And I, I say that in all 
sincerity, you are blessed indeed. Um, however, in your native tongue, where, uh, whatever language that might be, obviously we're English, English-speaking people, so we have to look to the English Bible uh, as a means by which we can um, have the Word of God related to us. So why are there so many? different Bible translations. There are two reasons when you look at the issue of translations. One is to help people to understand the, with clarity um, in, their, in their native tongue uh, what God is saying. When you look, for example, in the English Bible, uh, the man that stands out for me, this is, and I don't think I'm wrong, by the way, I think I am correct, what? but the man that stands out to me, heads and shoulders above everyone else is William Tyndale. Uh, it is because of him that we have the English Bible. Um, and uh, he desired to put the Bible in the common man's language, not degrading, but dignified and, and, and sanctified, uh, but, but where man was able to comprehend, the common man was able to just pick up the scriptures and read. Right. And understand God's will. Now, that's one way you look at the translations. Others have come along after him, done the same thing, and have been very successful in their work. Others come along not because they have a desire to help and benefit the, the human race with the understanding of the Word of God, but instead because of their hatred of God and their animosity towards the Word of the Lord, they develop Bible translations in order to deceive and mislead people, yes, to right. bring doubt upon the Word of God, to to, to uh, develop a skepticism. And so they develop translations that are corrupted. Maybe, for example, they might use corrupted manuscripts. Um, uh, and, and we know that the most accurate uh, and the most and the best manuscripts come from the East, and the most corrupted ones come from the West. Um, and so when you're looking at this, the, that really is what it comes down to. So you have to look at the origin of the texts that are being used as the basis upon which you can uh, have some, obviously, reliability uh, on the Word of God. For example, William Tyndale, the man I, I just mentioned, um, relied upon the Eastern texts, what we would later understand to be uh, the received text is yes. what it's called. Um, and so you look at that and you begin to realize, well, obviously the, the received text and the Eastern texts are superior to the Western texts, such as the Vanicanus and the Synacticus and others like that. These are corrupt texts. Um, so can, uh, you know, you know, why are there so many of them, um, I think it comes down to those issues, those two fundamental issues. Some are trying desperately to try to help people understand the Word of God. Others are trying to corrupt the Word of God. And I would suggest that if you want a Bible translation, first and foremost, you need to, uh, in your native tongue, whatever that might be, try to find the ones that ha are based on the Eastern text. That's, that's number one. In the English translation, uh, I think right now there's no question when you look at the King James Bible, yes. it stands head and shoulders above 
uh, all the other English translations. That's not to say, by the way, and I'm not going to uh, downplay any other English translation that is based on the Eastern text. For example, I, I'll give you one example. Well, I gave you one already. William yes, Tyndale, the right. New Testament, is a priceless, priceless um, translation. Um, and you can still get it, by the way, praise God. But also you can look, for example, which is also available, uh, the Geneva Bible of 1599. Um, an excellent translation, an excellent translation. Now, this was done by the Puritans of Geneva, uh, and it is a brilliant uh, translation. Um, so there are, from time to time, you'll find translations that are very good. For, I'll give you another one in 1755. Now you think, well, that's kind of a little late. That's 18th century, you know, mid-18th century. 1755, a man by the name of, of John Wesley, the great founder of the Methodist Church, yes. put together a translation of the New Testament. And I'm going to tell you, thank the Lord also, you can still get that. That's available. Um, and it is a brilliant translation of the New Testament, a fantastic uh, um, uh, rendering of, of, of the Word of God. So that's something there. But again, these are all based on Eastern texts. So um, there are Bibles out there. Um, they tend not to be modern. The most modern translations are fundamentally corrupted based on the fact that they're using the, the uh, Western texts. Um, but also, I'll tell you something else that's happening. This is something new. They're, right. What they're doing now is they're blending the Eastern and the Western text together, I making see. it appear uh, that you have a superior um, a translation, because what they're basically saying, John, is that, uh, well, this is the best of both worlds. Well, you can't take truth and error, mix it up, and somehow seem to think you have a better form of truth. Um, no, so I, I don't really rely on those. I think they're more, more subtle in their deceptive approach. And, uh, but I look, uh, frankly, uh, in my studies, um, right now, obviously the King James, um, and as I, other translations that I've mentioned to you, and there's others by the way, but you know, that's something we can go into later. But the thing is there, I, I just think that when you look at the King James based on its translation, based on its prose, um, and there's nothing more superior than the English prose of the King James. Nothing. N nothing. It's the greatest piece of literature. Look, I, I can tell you this. There are secular humanist um, historians who have written books, not, not just written articles, but yes, books right. on the literary style of the King James and it said it's the greatest piece of literature in the history of modern civilization. Amen. There's nothing superior to it in the prose. Nothing. And I and I <laughs> I think that's irrefutable. Oh yes. Most certainly. Well, let's move on now to our next question that we can pose and discuss tonight. Because you know, many people would say, well, anyone could have written the Bible. You know, it's, you can just, it's, someone could easily have just um, written it like a storybook. These are some of the responses that we receive from people when asking the question, can the Bible be trusted? So could mm -hmm. anyone really have written the Bible? Is that really the case, Elder? Well, let's, let's back, just backpedal a second here. When the question is asked, you know, could anyone have written the Bible? Um, 
first and foremost, remember this. Um, God in his wisdom ordained that certain particular individuals, and by the way, when you look at the author's of the books of the Bible, when I'm talking about, you know, from Malachi to yes. Daniel to, right. to, to Peter, Paul, James, and John, et cetera, et cetera. What's fascinating, what is fascinating is you get people from all walks of life and from various backgrounds. And for example, Daniel chapter four was a testimony uh, uh, written by a king, a, a, universe, a king of, uh, that ruled the then known world, Nebuchadnezzar himself. Yes. Now you think of that. Now here is a man who is a a one of the most powerful men in the history of of humanity, and he writes a chapter in the Bible. Then you go, of course, you go to First and Second Peter. Now who's Peter? This guy's a poor peasant fisherman. That's his background, of course, and uh, and he is chosen by the Lord to write uh, in conjunction with the Spirit of God the testimony. Of first and second Peter. Yes. So when you look at the scriptures, there's a a, a, a wide range um, of of characters and personalities and talents and 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 uh, and individuals uh, that are chosen. So could anyone have been chosen? Well, um, no, not really. In the in the final answer of it, the reason being because it's not a matter of whether you want to try to write the testimony of God's word. That because it says holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's not man moving on the spirit. It's the spirit moving on man. So God chooses whom he wishes. Uh, and this is divine wisdom. That's obviously something we can't understand, you know, uh, regarding the nature of why it is. Why, why did God choose Nebuchadnezzar? Why did he choose Daniel, Peter, James, John, Paul, etc.? Well, that's that's God's prerogative regarding the, the, the nature of who he chooses at the time that he has a testimony to share. Yes. Um, so that's something very important when you look at those things. Um, so these people, for divine purposes, were chosen by the Lord to give a testimony. And I'll tell you something else that's fascinating when you look and study uh, the writers of the Bible. Uh, they wrote. Uh, not only in terms of the time that they lived in, but also they wrote based on their own experience and based on their own understanding. Uh, for example, you look at Amos. Now, Amos was a farmer and Amos wrote a lot on prophecy, but he used the things that surrounded him that he understood as means by which to convey the divine relationship that he was having with the Lord you know, regarding these visions. Um, you look, for example, at Paul's writings. Now, Paul was a, an intellectual, a lawyer, a, 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 a theologian. Um, this guy was uh, could speak 19 languages. The guy, he was an intellectual of intellectuals. So the man was a scholar of the highest order, and he writes like that. Um, so he's, you know, his his a very sophisticated writing. Um, so there's a yes. style to each writer. There's a uniqueness to each book, and uh, it clearly indicates that this is something that is not only uh, of the you know a human element, uh, obviously that God is using, but it's 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 divinely driven. It's it's a it's it's a, it's um, uh, inspired um, by the Holy Spirit. 
to to lead them along the way. Yes, could we go so, to? So you know. Sorry, Yoda. Yes. So could anyone have written the Bible? Right. Um, no, in the general sense, no. But God could choose whoever He wishes. Yes, I just wanted to say. Can we go to Second Peter chapter one, verse twenty-one? Okay. Yep. 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 No worries. Because again, I just would like our listeners, those who have a Bible, for them to see that everything that you've said here is what the Bible teaches itself. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. For for Second Peter. Yes, chapter, chapter one, verse one, twenty-one, and then you look at twenty-one. Yes. Uh, First of all, let's go back to let's, let's go back to verse twenty. Yes, fine. Look at it says, knowing this first. This is the first thing you know, the top priority. This is the first thing you should know, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. So it's not a matter of what I think or what you think. It's no. a matter of the divine testimony of the Word of God regarding the nature of the things that we're studying. Yes. In other words, the testimony of God's Word itself will tell you what's right or wrong. And so that's another aspect of, of, of why you can trust it. And then he says, for the prophecy came not of old time by the will of man. It wasn't, the, in other words, the word of God did not come by the creation of man. No. But holy men of God spake as they were moved. And this is the divine working of God uh, by the Holy Ghost, by the Holy Spirit. So, so it's the, the testimony of Scripture is the manifestation of the Spirit of God working on man. And it's not man's will but god's will that was done yeah so i just thought that we should share this bible text because many may not have read this text before and have seen well, that that's the, right and that's a well well placed scripture by the way yes. uh, regarding this issue yeah so carry on elder have you any other thoughts about this question can anyone have written the bible well again i think that when you look at this uh this issue um also what's important too when you're looking at the, the the writing of the scriptures um you know again the lord and, and this text again clearly approves uh the point that i've been saying how that is god that chooses man uh not man choosing god um you know god's not subservient to man but rather it's the other way around and that the testimony of god's word stands true yes. Uh, and that uh, it's it's God appointing man to a designated office, in this particular case, the writing of the scriptures. And so uh, it's not a matter of men simply deciding what they're going to do. You know, Peter didn't wake up one day and say, you know, I think I'm going to write First Peter. No, God moved upon him and designated him yes. <coughs> the work of writing first and then Second Peter. Yes. That's you know, and that's a real vital point to for us to ascertain and understand that God moved upon these men to write. They didn't, of their own free will, just sit down and write these words. These are men that who were inspired by God, by a divine being, to write the scriptures. Amen. Amen. By the way, John, just just something very interesting about this. This passage yes. in First Peter. Um, <clears throat> or second peter excuse me chapter one where he's looking at verse 21 is where it says they were moved by the holy ghost yes, very right. fascinating that that phrase is the same or it, it almost word for word in the same in genesis in, in creation where the spirit of god moved I upon see. the face of the waters and so what in, in other words what you're what's happening here what you're being what's being revealed is that this 
is showing uh, one of the functions and roles, uh, you know, purposes of the Holy Spirit in relation to the chosen individuals that God has uh, um, picked to to um, to write the scriptures. It's it's showing that this is not from an this is not an earthly work. It's right. a divine work. So fundamentally, what in essence it's saying is this: that the Word of God <clears throat> was not written by man. But rather, men were chosen by the Lord that were imbued by the Spirit to record the things uh, as the Spirit moved upon them. Yes. Meaning, in the final analysis, who's the author of, of creation? God is. Who's the author of the Scripture? It's not Peter, James, John, Paul, Daniel, Ezekiel, etc. It's the Holy Spirit. So, in other words, what you're finding here in 2 Peter 1.21 is that the Holy Ghost is the author of the scriptures, not man. So the the question at, in, at hand, can anyone have written the scriptures? Obviously is no, uh, because there are certain criteria that have to be met. Uh, and uh, one of them, of course, is that you have to be moved by the Holy Spirit right. and anointed accordingly to uh, write these things. However, I will say this. Um, when you're looking at the scriptures, we're looking, of course, 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New, 66 overall. Uh, this is what is known as the canonized scriptures. This constitutes, as I say, the standard by which we measure all things, um, it, uh, not just not just spiritually, but right. in every aspect, uh, whether they're secular or not. We, we judge all things by the word of God. And uh, but it comes from the Holy Spirit. He's the author. Right. Well, let's move on now to our final question on the discussion this evening. That question being, how does the Bible relate to us today? Because, you know, sometimes you talk to young people, they say, oh, well, that's an old fashioned book. You know, it's, it's out of date now. We've moved on in life. And. You know, um, so how would you answer that question to us this evening? How does the Bible relate to us today, Elder Ray? Mm. Well, how does the Bible relate to us today? Well, first of all, if you look at that question, that's a very personal question, isn't it? You know, how does it relate to me? Yes. How, how, how can I uh, come to, to, to understand the significance of what this Bible is saying to me today? Um, so... You know, how does the Bible relate to me today? I think the Bible is more um, poignant today than it's ever been. And I'll tell you why I say that. When you look at the overall arc of the book, uh, the Holy Bible, uh, you know, it spans the, the beginning of, of creation. It begins the, really before that, the beginning of the time, the creation of man. It starts in Genesis and it ends with a new heavens and a new earth. And uh, so you're looking at an arc of the beginning of the creation to the to the new creation. And uh, I think as you go down through time, uh, like anything in life, there, there, the, the closer you get to the time of arrival, the more urgency there is placed upon making sure you're ready for that departure. And I think that when you look at the Bible today, yes, relevant right. to the. Um, span of time that it covers, 
clearly we see we are living in what the Bible describes as the last days. And so how can this really be poignant and relevant for me today? I think that the Bible speaks for, to our day. It speaks to every facet of our lives, every experience that we may possess. Uh, some I've had people say, well, you know, it's not relevant to me because it doesn't speak about my condition. You know, and I said, well, I, I said, I beg to differ. I said, I'll tell you why I say that. And the reason I, I disagree with that premise is that <clears throat> the Bible speaks in, of, of particular things and issues in two ways. One, in a very direct way, very specific in nature. Yes, right. So that there can be no misunderstanding regarding what it is that God is conveying. And the second thing is that sometimes God speaks in parables. Sometimes God speaks in, in riddles and rhymes. In other words, it's not so clear cut uh, laid out for you. You have to do a little searching. You have to do a little, 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 uh, as, you know, brain uh, twisting, as it were. Um, you know, uh, why should God spoon feed you every little minutia? I mean, that's really not really uh, what God wants from you. And I'll tell you why I, I say that, because God doesn't want you to be a mindless individual. He expects you to use your mind. He gave you a mind then and, yes. and to be a rational being, common sense logically thinking through things, you know, you know, methodically working out a problem. Things aren't always so clear, uh, like in life, uh, so in spiritual things. Um, and, you know, things aren't going to always be spelt out. But every aspect of whatever may be taking place in your life, I don't care what it is, the Bible is relevant. Uh, it speaks to our times. Yes. It speaks uh, in many ways regarding the condition of man. It speaks of the uh, society of the human race. Um, it speaks to the aspect of how um, uh, government is, uh, in general should operate and function and regard to the nature of the things that take place at the end of time uh, uh, regarding government in general or governments in general and how that uh, you're going to see society, um, sadly to say, start to unravel and uh, begin to uh, um, really capitulate on many of the uh, founding principles of that make society safe. Um, and the bottom line, Paul makes this very clear in Romans chapter one, that the reason society becomes so perverse and so corrupted, and the reason why mankind has, is, is, is slowly but surely falling away is because they have rejected God. Yes. And uh, so when you're looking at the relevancy of the Bible today, I think, that again, when you look at, well, first and second Peter and others uh, uh, in the New Testament, particularly even the book of Revelation um, and Daniel, when you're looking at the end time, man, it's relevant for today. It's speaking of our day. Yes. And uh, and that's really the critical thing. You see, the Bible doesn't speak about one generation. It encompasses all generations, as I said, from Genesis to Revelation, from the beginning of creation to the end of the, you know, the new creation. And so you have that span of time. So the Bible speaks to every generation relevant to the issues that exist in that generation. And so the Bible is a, a, a book that spans time and also is applicable to, to each generation at that time. Yes. Well, Elder Ray, 
we'll have a short break here with some music and afterwards we'll round up with some closing thoughts. the Bible be trusted well Elder Ray final thoughts for tonight's show can the Bible be trusted what would you like to say to our listeners this evening well I think that when we look at this subject John there's no doubt the Bible can be trusted it's a reliable book Amen. it has been attacked for thousands of years it's been attacked and yet it stands true and yet it stands vindicated, uh, both through history, through archaeological discovery, and, and, uh, and uh, the testimony of itself. Remember, the Bible doesn't need any validation. The Bible is true on its own merits. However, we do look to these things, as I mentioned, to verify um, some of the very important critical things. So, yes, I do think that we can trust the Word of God, and it's relevant for today. Yes. Amen. Shall we end now this discussion with a word of prayer? And Absolutely. Um, let us thank the Lord for discussion mm. this evening. All right. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, 
We thank you for the privilege once again we've had to come together to discuss this wonderful vital topic of can we trust the Bible? And I know that in my life, and as well as John's and so many others throughout the world who have experienced um, the beauty of your word, the comfort and the promises of God and how we've seen your word come to pass. And so we can testify that it is trustworthy. We know from history, from the testimony of those who have gone before, we know from prophecy how that your word is something we can look to and rely upon. So, Lord, we ask that you'll help us. I have the faith of a child to simply trust and to believe. And if there is any doubt, I pray you'll remove it and help us to have an intelligent understanding, a common sense approach to your holy sanctified word. Now, grace us this day. We thank you once again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Elder Ray DiCarlo, we'd like to thank you for joining us live on Voice in the Wilderness Internet Radio. And I'd like to say to our listeners, if you have any questions or if you would like more information, please send an email to inquiries at wildernesspublications.org. That's inquiries at wildernesspublications.org. You can send a text message to 07944-062-786. That's if you're in the UK. And if you live in the United Kingdom, please contact us with your name and address, and we will send you a free track called The Sacred Scriptures. If you have the Android app for Voice in the Wilderness Internet Radio, go to the ebook section and find the title Bible Readings for the Home. At Chapter 1, you will find the subject, The Sacred Scriptures, and this will give you more information about today's topic. If you're overseas, again, you can email us at inquiries at wildernesspublications.org, and we'll be glad to send you an electronic copy of the tract, The Sacred Scriptures. On next week's show, we'll be discussing the question, if God exists, then why is there so much suffering? If God exists, then why is there so much suffering? But that's it for tonight's show. Until next week, good night and God bless. Voice in the Wilderness, Internet Radio. Enlightening the world every week it's not just knowing about the doctrine in the bible that is not what we stand for here streaming powerful biblically based messages this congregation may never be gathered together again as we see voice in the wilderness internet radio enlightening the world every week